Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. Anyway, welcome, guys. Um, so glad you guys are here with us today. Um, yeah, well, I, um, I I just love our times of worship together. Um, I think... It's not, I want to make sure it makes clear, like it's not about an emotional moment. It is about um, singing truth that reminds ourselves of God, of who He is, but also singing them to Him to declare who He is. And something happens in that space. Um, Spiritually, when we sing, we're declaring truth. Um, God is honored and His presence is, um, we we experience it in a way. It it helps us lock in, if you will, you know. Um, And that was just a really, really sweet presence um, of just worship there. So that was awesome, guys. We're going to go ahead and move into our teaching for today, um, which we're going to continue our redemption message series that we started last week and really kind of leading up to the remembrance of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus on Easter. And we're in this season of Lent right now where you know, what I want to do is I want to refocus the story of redemption through the narrative of Scripture. So, um, you know, God's story, as we said last week, is a story of redemption, and it's unfolding in the lives and families and nations throughout the millennia. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to explore various stories of redemption that we see in Scripture told throughout the Bible, and it's going to pave this road of redemption all the way up to Easter, where we're going to celebrate, obviously, the greatest redemption and rescue story ever told. And so we started our series last week um, with a message called A Strange Romance, and it was based out of the prophetic book of Hosea in the Old Testament. And really the story of Hosea, right, we learned last week is this powerful imagery of expressing God's relentless love and his unwillingness to give up on us. And the big idea of last week's message was that God responds to our fickleness with his faithfulness, right? God responds to our fickleness with his faithfulness. Well, this week we're going to be um, talking about a very familiar story to probably most of us. How many of you have ever heard of the story of the lost son or the prodigal son? Almost everybody, right? This is a very popular, very famous parable, one of the most famous, probably the one of the most attractive stories in the Bible because it is one that, again, we love redemption stories, right, as people, but also it's, it's an easy story to tell and it's an easy story to fall in love with because there's really nothing not to like in it, right? It's all about someone who went so far away and was welcomed home. Um, and so that's the story. Well, typically, we focus on the son's actions right? in this story. We talk about what he did, and we'll talk about it a little bit today. But today we're actually going to dive into the father's reaction and how it's really about redemption. Now, the word prodigal itself is defined as extravagantly wasteful. That's what prodigal means, extravagantly wasteful. So while the son, most of us are familiar with the story, so I don't need to kind of, we're going to go through it, but I don't have to give a summary at the moment. While the son was wasteful, completely wasteful of his inheritance, it is the father in this story whose extravagance is actually on display as he celebrates his son's return. So today's message is the prodigal father, the prodigal father. And so I want to read out of Luke chapter 15. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out. Um, your Bible app. I think it's important, by the way. You always ask, why, why is it that I ask you to pull your Bible out? And I would love for you to either bring your phone uh, with the Bible app or an actual Bible. 
I think it's important because if this is the only time of the week that you open your Bible, you're beginning to build at least a habit now. Like learn where to find things, find scriptures, learn to look for them and things like that. So I just want to do that together. I think this is a collective action. So pull out your Bibles um, and open them to Luke chapter 15. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke. So it's the third gospel in the New Testament. And if you're new to the Bible in general, um, it goes by chapters. So just scroll till you see the big 15 and then scroll down to verse 11. Luke 15, verse 11. We're going to just start the story and periodically throughout, I'm going to pause and maybe make some comments, okay? So verse 11, he also said to me, this is Jesus, he also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them, I'm reading out of the CSB, by the way, if you want to change your trans, uh, translation in the app, it's the Christian Standard Bible. A man had two sons. The younger son of them said to the father, father, give me the share of this estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to him. Now, in this case, the inheritance, um, the way it worked is like, you know, we know how inheritance is, is that like somebody has a will and uh, when that person passes away, they can give it to whoever they want, you know, whatever they have, the, the liquid assets of it. Well, in this case, um, what would, property was, was assets. It wasn't so much money necessarily as it was land holdings and sheep and cattle and goats and all of those types of things. Well, um, <clears throat> in an inheritance situation, the owner, the father, the patriarch of the family, um, the, the, the oldest son had what was called the birthright, and they would get a double portion, okay? Which means they got, in this case, because there's two sons, he got two-thirds in the inheritance, and then the younger son gets one-third of the inheritance. And so when the father says that he divided it up, um, he essentially kind of like cashed out, gave him a value of what it was going to be, and then gave him the money. And essentially, hey, son, you want to go, that's fine. But if you ever come back, you're not going to have, that's kind of the assumption, right? The assumption is, here's your money. This is what you are owed. And so the son takes it and he says he distributed it. Verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and he traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. And after he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country. We don't know what country it is. Um, it says a distant country, so it was not Israel. Um, this isn't a real story. It's Jesus telling a parable. So it could have been Lebanon. It could have been Syria. It could have been Egypt. It could have been Iran, any of those types of places. <coughs> um, after everything, after he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. So he'd spent all of his money in, in lavish living, foolish living, and he had nothing. And then there's no food going around, so everybody's hoarding all the food that they had, right? So there's probably nothing in stalls and markets. There's no food to be had. And then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. Like his father was a landowner who probably had servants who would, you know, work the fields and, and they would get paid and they would be fed um, for it. So he was working for some guy in another country hoping that he would get money or that he would have a place to live, that he would be able to get fed that way. So this guy sends him into the fields to feed the pigs. And pigs were unclean animals. Let's pause here for a second. It's important for you to understand the gravity of the situation. To a Jewish person, pigs are incredibly unclean. That, that By the law, they are unclean animals. They're not to eat them, and they don't spend time around many unclean animals, right? So for someone to be tending and feeding the most unclean, one of the most unclean animals in the Jewish law, for a Jewish person to do that, by the way, who was a noble's son, now to have stooped all the way down to a place where he has, he's literally like, you know, cleaning up these unclean animals and giving them food, this would be the lowest kind of work, not just for a Jewish person, really for any person in any society at that time. And there are hired workers, and then there are slaves, like indentured servants. And the son didn't have enough to eat. So 
a, 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 a hired, like an indentured servant was the one who lives in the house, right? A slave was one who lives in the home and was taken care of, maybe poorly, but at least had food and those types of things. But the hired workers were not. Those guys had to find their own place to live and they were given day wages and you know whatever money they were given, they at that point had to fend for themselves. So this guy right here was working for in the lowest of the lows in a distant country in the middle of a famine because he was completely broke and it says he longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating. He was so hungry that he wanted to eat the food that they were feeding the pigs, but no one would give him anything because it's, it's a famine. Like, Anybody was like, any food I have, I have to eat for myself, or for my family, and the pigs will die, and if I let the pigs die, I'm going to get fired, and then I have no food. So no one's giving him any, any food. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, I'll go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. So he's like, he's like rehearsing, oh, you know what I'll do? I'll go home, and I'll say, Father... I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So in other words, I'm going to go back groveling. Maybe my dad will hire me and I'll be able to just kind of spend the rest of my days working as a slave in the house. So what did he do? He gets up and he went to his father. And this is where the story turns. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. And he ran and threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father interrupts him. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and the sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead. And is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. What I want to do today is I want to talk about God's extravagant love for sinners as we see through this passage, this extravagance, this prodigal, extravagantly wasteful love, right? Told by Jesus to people about the love of God for, for his children. The first thing I want to mention is that God's extravagant love for sinners is compassionate. It's compassionate. If you look at verse 20, what does it say here? It says, so the guy got up. He went to his father. So he went with a plan, right? The, the, the son said, I have failed miserably. I've wasted all my money. I've got nothing left. I'm going to die in this country. My last option is to go back and just grovel and hope that I can have somewhere to be a slave. And it says, but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. A great way off. He was still far off. God's compassion. Our father recognizes his own child in us. And he takes the first step. This is what's called, um, I'm going to say it wrong, but I think it's prevenient grace. Prevenient grace or pre-evident, pre-evident grace. In other words, pre, pre-event, right? That God's grace exists before we ever turn back. And we see that right here in this passage, right? That the son... The son was, had not given his confession yet. He had not come and said, like, Father, I'm right. The father was looking for the son already, right? So I imagine that every day the father is sitting out on the porch looking down that road right there on the screen here, just kind of looking and just waiting 
looking in the distance. One day my son will return, hoping, praying, waiting for his son to return. And the son has a plan. I think it is important to acknowledge that there is a space in which that we as people do have to say, I'm going to turn back. But don't, don't be deluded into thinking that your decision to come back is what gives God's, like, turns God's heart towards you. His heart is already turned towards you because of his great love, because of his compassion. While you were still a far way off, he saw you. He saw you. The father is represented as daily expecting the return of the strayed one. He is moved with compassion. And, uh, and then it says that it, he fell on his neck. He wrapped his arms around him and he kissed him. In all of his filth, like the pig nastiness, you know, probably smelled terribly, right? Probably I imagine he like had some like food dripping down off of his like, you know, like just... Days. I mean, he, if he was in a distant country, he probably didn't have a ride because he had no money. So he's walking, you know, this entire way and he's probably blistered in his feet and he's just smelly. And who knows the last time he washed? We have no idea. He's just gross. The father wraps his arms around him and kisses him in all his filthiness and all of his rags. The kiss is a token of that, of that preeminent love which is shown even before the confession of sin. And then the son goes, Father... I have sinned. Like he comes, he's like, he's like with this, you know, speech, he's like, like sort of unrolling a little scroll. And this confession is uttered after the kiss of reconciliation, after the compassion is already showed. God's extravagant love for sinners is compassionate. The second thing we see is that it's not only compassion, it's not only, oh, I'm so glad you're home. Great. Go back there and make, do the dishes and make dinner, right? Like that's, that's what the son was expecting. So already the son got more than he, than he thought he would. Right? He, the son expected there to be a wrathful, angry, look what you've done. You've wasted your money. I told you so. Because right? that's what you would expect. That's what I would expect. You know? But the father welcomes him and loves him. Well, at least I know I'm still his son, but I'm, he's probably going to make me like, earn his grace. Right? And then the father says this, that God's extravagant love for sinners is not only compassionate, but it's also restoring. Look at verse 22. But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and then sandals on his feet and then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast. Not only, not only does he proclaim his joy, right? not only does he say, my son is home, he gives it active expression. Like he says, my son is home. I love you. I'm so glad that you're here. But then what does he do? Not only does he pardon his son by loving on him, but he restores him again to the full possession and enjoyment of his forfeited rights. When he, when he took the money from his father, he basically said, I am no longer a part of this family. I want what's mine. I no longer have to live under your rules. I'm no longer considered your son. I give up everything that was mine. He gave the robe back. He gave the ring back. He gave the sandal. Like he gave anything that said, I am yours and said, this is mine, went to another country. But the father, when he comes back, when the son comes back, not only does he say, I'm so glad you're home, he gives him these things to restore the full rights of a son. Let's look at this, the best robe. Right? So he brings him the best, bring out the best robe. Take away the filthy garments, give him new clothes, signifying restoration. Right? And he says, the best robe. I don't, I'm just going to, hey, go find something in the closet. Like, give him the best robe. He is brought into his former position of honor. Put a robe on him. The only people who wore robes in this family were the ones who had authority and power and had rights in the family. 
He says, put the rights back, put the robe back on him. He says, give him a ring and sandals, the seal ring to show that he is a, a member of the family. What they would do is with those rings is that when you would go somewhere as a, as a royal, it would show the ring and that would mean that they would have, they would know who you are and then they would give you, they would, they would um, acquiesce to your authority. If you were writing a letter, you would put the wax on it, you would seal it with your ring. So that signet would show who the letter came from, thereby carrying the authority of who the one who wrote it. So by the father putting that ring back on his son's finger is showing him, I am restoring you to the full like rights of what it means to be a son in this house. And then he says, I'm going to put sandals on your feet. And this is really important to know here too, because because the only people who really wore sandals were the in in the in that property were the were the royal the, the nobles of the family the slaves would have walked around barefoot the the servants were probably walking around barefoot so again sandals on the feet the robe over his shoulders and the ring on his finger clearly says to the son you are my son you are home and you are not just a slave you are not just someone who you're no longer the one who took everything i'm restoring you back to your full position as a child in my noble house and then he says call the fattened calf bring the calf out they actually this is weird what is a fattened calf they actually had like a special like stall where they would just feed this one like cow over and over again to make it really big and chunky and juicy. They'd probably massage it. You know, it's like those Kobe, um, the Kobe uh, cows that they have uh, over in Japan. They give them like all this beautiful grass to graze around. They, they literally massage them, right? And, and they give cows massages. Can you believe that? So like when you go and you get Kobe beef, you know what you're getting, right? You're getting like this like really tender, juicy beef. And so the fattened calf is that concept. There were other ones that they would just, you know, raise for milk or they would raise for and they would turn into meat uh, regularly. But the fattened calf was only for the most special of occasions, right? They kept it there for celebration. So again, not only is the father compassionate, right? My son is home. I see him and he runs down the road and he hugs him and he gives him a huge kiss on the cheek and he says, he's home. And then the son kind of gives us obligatory and he says, shut up. And he gets like the, the, the robe and he puts it on him and he says, you are my son. You're here. Let's have a party, right? And he celebrates the, the festive occasion for my son was dead and he was lost, to the father. He was lost to the father. He was dead to the father. He was dead to himself. The father, the son had given up all of his rights, but had lost everything and had lost who he was. He'd forgotten everything about it. He'd lost his dignity. He'd lost his peace. He'd lost his profit. He lost everything, but it was all restored to him by the father. Now, some of us in the room might wonder about God's extravagant love and feel like it's wasteful. Like, the story is feel good, right? It's feel-good story. Like, I, I get it. I get that God's saying that he loves us so much, but man, like, that guy wasted everything. Like, I would have a hard time feeling that way, you know? Like, if my son, like, maybe somebody in the room is like, I don't get it. I don't understand, like, like, this perspective of God. Like, this son, like, maybe, like, okay, he should come home and he should, you know, but I'm certainly not going to put the ring on his finger and make him be, like, a fully restored. Like, it feels wasteful. Surely, right, there's a limit to this love? What about those who've done the worst possible things? I mean, think about that, like serial killers and rapists and, and terrorists. Like, what about them? 
do they get God's extravagantly wasteful love? Like that's the word prodigal, right? So like extravagantly wasteful. And like, so we're not going to talk about, obviously God's love is wasteful. But if you think of the, the analogy, right? That like this extravagance to it. Like what about the worst of the worst? People who have spit in God's face, who've done terrible things. Well, this story kind of addresses that a little bit too. Verse 25, the story continues. Now his older son was in the field working, doing the, the labor for his dad, just kind of overseeing. And he, as he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So what the heck is going on? Like, I'm out here working, right? So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. And he says, your brother is here. Can you imagine like the guys, what? He told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And then here it is right here in verse 28. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. Can you imagine the scene for a second? Like, like the father's having a blast dancing with his son. Like just like he's so happy. And we don't know how long, months, years, who knows? And he's like looking down the road, hoping, just maybe like hanging on to a shrivel, like a shred of hope that his son would come home. And it's happened. And he's celebrating and partying. And he's like, where's, where's the oldest one? Bring him in here. And he hears that his son is frustrated and angry. We don't quite know why yet. So he goes out and he pleads with him, come on inside. Come on, let's party your son. Your brother is home became angry and didn't want to go in. So the father, he replied to his father, look, I have been slaving many years for you and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came home, he can't even call him his brother. When this son of yours, like, you know, parents, when you're like angry, you go, your son did that. <laughs> and Heather goes to me, she goes, my son? <laughs> like, you know, but like that's, Sometimes you're so frustrated that like, you don't, like, the words that you give kind of express that, right? And this, this older son couldn't say your brother, right? Because the father did. The father said, your brother is home. But the, the son, he says, but the son, this son of yours came who has devoured your assets with prostitutes. So now we get a picture. Somehow they kind of knew what was going on, like, you know, maybe a letter or maybe rumors. Maybe you get the impression that the father was not only looking out the road, but maybe he was sending people to people he knew in other countries. Like, where is my son? Tell me about my son. What is he doing? Like, the father's love reached across to a distant country. Like, I love that picture, right? And it says, like, he was engaging in, like, prostitute activities, like, and selling off gambling. Who knows what he was doing? Lavish, wasteful, foolish living. But when this son of yours comes home, he's devoured everything that you gave him with prostitutes. You slaughter the fattened calf that we've been waiting for years for? Who knows how long the cow has been in there waiting for its day? And here it is for him. And this is what the father replies to him. When you ask the question, what about that wasteful, extravagant love of God that wastes it on the serial killer or the terrorist who repents? The person who's done the most worthless, like vile things. How can that person come back to God and just simply say, I'm sorry, and they are forgiven. How is that possible? Look at what the father says to the son. Son, he said to him, you are always with me. In other words, you have everything already. He says, and everything I have is yours. You have forgotten how good you have it. You want to go out there and live where he went and you want to go out there and, and do all that stuff and you'll see why he came home. You have never experienced it. You've never tasted it. And you're allowing your bitterness because you didn't get a goat. 
You live in luxury. You live under grace and authority. You never have to have anybody tell you you can't do something because you're my son and you're angry at him. He says, but we had to celebrate. We had to rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. So not only, not only is God's extravagant love for sinners compassionate, Not only is it restoring, but it's also definitive. It's definitive. The Father is called into question. And there are a lot of Christians out there, maybe you're one of them, who who hears stories of people coming to Christ and then kind of judges it, you know? Like, I don't know. I don't know what I think about guys on death row just before, right? Like, you know, giving their life to the Lord. You hear the stories of like Jeffrey Dahmer or whatever. I don't know. One of those like famous serial killers who apparently did repent and and like gave their life to Christ before they were executed. And it doesn't sit well with some people, right? And then there's even another story that we see in uh, in on the cross. And I think the week before, I think the week before Easter, Palm Sunday, we're going to be talking about Jesus on the cross with the two thieves next to him. And even in that story, again, one man mocks Jesus and the other one just kind of like repents in that space at the end. Doesn't pay for anything and Jesus just forgives him. That's hard for us, you know? We want to judge people. We're going, no, you got to earn that. There's something you got to do. Like, you can't just come home. But that's not the story. The story of God's redemption is it's a prodigal, it's extravagant, that there is no limit to the amount of like of far distance that you have gone that you cannot come home, that God's preeminent grace is not looking for you. There is no person on this earth, not terrorists who threw who flew planes like into a building, not people who blow themselves up, not people who steal, not people who put children in cages at the border. None of those people are so far from God that if they came back and repented of their sin, that God would not welcome them into this family. And here's the thing is that like, I think what God is saying, what Jesus is trying to say to the people that he's telling the story to, which included Pharisees, because that's really who he's talking. The older brother in this story represents the Pharisees that he's talking. So Jesus was surrounded by two kinds of people, right? When he would go, there were the Pharisees who were the religious, Jewish religious leaders of the time. And then there were like the everybody else, you know? And so he was basically painting this picture and saying the older brother are the ones who are already in the family. They're the ones who like do all the rules, but they, and they've forgotten the gloriousness of being a child of God. They've forgotten what that's like, and they judge people for everything. They come to the temple with their little dove that they don't have. They can't sacrifice a sheep because they can't afford it. So they bring their little things, and they look down on them. You know? Or when someone was a sinner, and they repent, and they offer an atonement, they treated them differently. And Jesus is telling the story to them, saying, that child of God who comes and who repents, and when they've given some... There's so many stories that the little widow who brings the two, all that she has, and just puts it in there, right? Like every story we see of Jesus, he's always painting this picture that it doesn't matter what you bring, it doesn't matter how far away you are, it certainly doesn't matter how good you are and how, how like, you know, well put together and dressed you are, it's your heart. And when you come back and you're saying... I, I'm broken and I need you, that God's redemption like comes and welcomes you and he wraps his arms around you, his grace and compassion, and he wraps a robe and he says, you are my child. I put a ring on your finger. You are a child of God. You have authority. Like It's incredible, the love. It's so definitive. It doesn't matter what people think. And I, I want to say, there's some of us in the room, and I, I, I struggle with this. I carry with me labels 
of, of that the world has put on me or labels that I've placed on myself from the choices that I have made in my life. And the thing is, is that this story paints so clearly a picture that it doesn't matter that I was a person in a far-off land, far from God, wasting everything that was given. If you think about it, I was this young child. I was, I was grown up in a Christian home. My parents are pastors. I knew exactly what I had waiting for me. But I wasted it. I wasted it with sex. And I wasted it with drugs. And I wasted it with false religions and other things. I wasted it. But when the time came for me to come home, and I did come home, he welcomed me, but I still carry And I think about the sun. That sometimes, how many years go by that the son looks at the ring in the morning when he puts it on his finger and maybe still feels like he's not worthy to wear that ring? Or when he puts on the, the robe because he knows he's going out to the town to maybe do some business for his dad or something, and he's like, I know that this robe means I'm the son of the noble. You know, and, he, and he's thinking, like, maybe before he looks in the mirror, he's putting on the robe and he thinks, like, back to his former life, and he still carries some of the marks or the shame of the things that he used to do, and there's probably some element in him that feels like he's not worthy of wearing the robe. How many of us are like that here today? You don't have to answer that, but think about it. I'm like that. I'm still like that, that there are, I know the things that I've done in my life, some, some recent and some things that are way in the distant past, but I still carry the scars of those things. And every day, it's a step of the father continually saying, good morning, son. Good morning, son. You wear that robe well. Put it on. No, no, don't let it slide off. Your, put it on. Like, that's what the father is saying to each one of us today. Definitively, I compassionately love you. I have restored you fully, not a little bit, and you're not at any risk of losing it. Like, you don't have to walk on eggshells around me. You don't have to, you know, tiptoe around, you know, the, the house of God like that. Come here boldly as a child of God. Walk out into the society definitively as the son or the daughter of the king. You are restored. God's love is extravagant for sinners. It is compassionate. It is restoring. It is definitive. And one thing I want to let you guys know as we wrap up here is that the, in Jesus' day, the younger son could have been killed could have been killed for bringing shame on his father's family. Like that was actually a thing. Like you brought dishonor to me. So that father who sent people to go find out what was going on in another country, you know, like little spies kind of just check up on him. Other families may have killed that son to bring, because he brought dishonor on his family. I was just watching Homeland last night, this show that we love. And, uh, and it, you know, it's Middle Eastern based in a lot of, a lot of the space. And there was this woman who... Um, her husband had been killed and she's been living single for a long time past the period of mourning. And so they, they, she's been living in like a city, kind of doing a modern Western sort of thing. And her family is from a village. They sent his brother, her brother-in-law, you know, the widow's brother-in-law, um, to retrieve her and bring her back home and to marry her, you know, to bring honor to the family. And he yells at her and actually says, you are bringing dishonor to your family. So he actually brings two armed guards to like kidnap her and bring her back to the bring her back to the, to the village, you know? Like, this is the concept that could have happened to this son for dishonoring him. And yet, what do we see? We see the heart of God revealed in the seemingly wasteful and definitive action of the father. And he brings the, the calf out not to convince his son. I think this is another thing. We oftentimes think that, like, maybe he brings out the calf, the fattened calf. He's kind of, like, convincing him to stay, but it's not. It was given as the father's expression of joy. 
that he felt as his recovery. God's extravagant love for sinners is compassionate, it's restoring, and it's definitive. And so we'll close with this idea. The big idea of today's message is this. God's extravagant love cannot be earned. It is freely given. God's extravagant love cannot be earned. It is freely given. Remember, the father saw his son when he was a long way off. And even after the son gave his confession, the father had already kissed him. He'd already given him compassion. And then, even after that, he restores him fully. God's extravagant love cannot be earned. It is freely given. The deeper, and I want to read this. uh, This is out of a commentary. We'll close with this part here. I want to read it word for word. The deeper sunk... And the longer estranged any sinner is, the more exuberant is the joy which his recovery occasions. Read that again. Actually, just close our eyes. We're going to pray and then we'll have a discussion. The deeper sunk and the longer estranged any sinner is, the more exuberant is the joy which his recovery occasions. The deeper sunk And the longer estranged any sinner is, the more exuberant is the joy which his recovery occasions. Father, thank you for your extravagant love, seemingly wasteful love. Thank you that we were far from you, some of us farther than others. And yet you welcome us home. I thank you for yet another picture, another aspect of your redemption. Last week, the relentless, unwilling to give up love, even when we time and time again show ourselves as fickle to you. This time, the redemptive, extravagant love that restores us fully back into a position with you after we've wasted what you've given us. God, I love you and I thank you for it. Thank you for Jesus telling this story. Thank you that years and years and years later, we have it to cling to, that no matter what we're carrying with us now, that today you're reminding each one of us who call in the name of Jesus, that when you wear that robe, you wear it with authority. When you wear that ring, you wear it with authority. You have placed us back in the house as a full child in the king's house. We don't have to earn it. It is freely given. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you for your restoration. Thank you for the definitive nature. There is no question how much you love us and that you've restored us. And for each of us, God, I pray that we would remember where we've come from, but also that when we see others give their life to you, that we would rejoice like the father did and like the servants, that we would not be like the older son. It is not for us to judge what someone's heart is, no matter what they have done. God, we thank you when a terrorist gives their life to Jesus. We thank you when, when a thief or when a, someone who's, who's lied, God, comes to you. We thank you for people who have turned their life around. Even in the last hour, we thank you that some are saved. We will rejoice in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.